Welcome to Connection Point Church, and welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shell and I serve as lead pastors here. So glad you've joined us today. We finally had a decent weather day. Just had to get into February to find it. It's all right. So in life, I've, I've had a number of wonderful invitations to things. Shortly after college, I was invited to uh, teach and coach at a high school in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, shortly after Shelly and I got married, it was a wonderful invitation. A few years later, I was invited to teach and coach at a high school in the Chicago area. That was a great invitation. And, and then a few years later, Shelly and I were invited to go and, and lead a school in Khartoum, Sudan. It was a great invitation to be able to, to reach Sudanese families. And then a couple years later, we were invited to go to Jerusalem, Israel, to run a school there and to be involved with a church and church planning network there. And that was a wonderful invitation. I was thinking about invitations, though, and probably one of the most interesting invitations I had was in Jerusalem, that we were there, been there about a year or two, and one of the volunteer teachers who came to, to work at the school with us in Jerusalem, he was actually recruited by the IFL, the Israel Football League, to come and be a quarterback on their team. I bet you didn't even know that they had an Israel Football League. There's reasons for that, but they do. So the IFL, Israel Football League, so he came out, uh, in fact, the owner of the Patriots, Kraft, he uh, paid to have a football field installed in Jerusalem. And it was the home field for the Jerusalem Kings, and so this, uh, this teacher was invited to be the quarterback for that team. And he came back to the school and said, hey guys, if you've ever played football, they still need a few more players. Now, if you would have told me, as a high school football player, at the age of 36, you'll be invited to play with the IFL. I would have said you're crazy. And mostly because I didn't know they played American football there. <laughs> I do, it's nine man teams. And, and so I played on that football team for a year. It was crazy. Uh, so I was a defensive end and I was the smallest guy on the line. The center was a Jewish rabbi, 6'8", 400 pounds. His fingers were like sausages. <laughs> like shake his hand. The other defensive end was a, a Palestinian Muslim. He was 6'6", 350 pounds of pure muscle. Guy was massive. So the Jewish rabbi, he had an idea. He says, I know how we should come out on the field. I'm like, well, this will be good. He says, you, Maddox, you come out carrying a cross. I'm going to come out with a menorah. And you, you come out with a head wrap and we're going to freak out everybody. <laughs> oh, my word. It was a fun year. So I played football. My kids actually got to watch me play football, so it was fun. So that was a weird invitation. What kind of invitations have you had? We had a wonderful invitation in 2015 to come and lead Connection Point Church. It was a wonderful invitation for our family. So glad to be here. But what kind of invitations have you had in life? Pastor Jim mentioned, you know, we wear these you're invited t-shirts and there's a reason for that. We really felt like the Lord wanted us this year to emphasize, you are invited. You have been given the greatest invitation in all of life. An invitation to live for God. An invitation to be in a personal relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth with God who created you. What a wonderful invitation. But maybe you wouldn't consider that the greatest invitation in life. But what I hope as we continue our series in Luke this morning, as Jesus explains the invitation that we have all been given, 
And he also explains the need why we need to accept that invitation. My prayer for you today is that you jump in. And not just for those who have never said yes to Jesus, but that we all would jump in with both feet, not one foot in, one foot out, but that we would say, Jesus, we're all in. We're not going to hold anything back because it's in that space that God does extraordinary things. We want you to live like that. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got God's Word and access to God's Word. If you're new to Connection Point Church, we're glad you're here. Uh, The reason we say that is because I want to remind us We want you to be in God's Word. Not just today, not just on a Sunday morning. If this is the only time and space you hear Scripture in the week, it's not enough. We want you in God's Word every day. So if you don't have a a Bible, feel free to take one of those home with you today. Uh, You can read along with us as we cover Scripture today. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week. Now we're in verse 14. And here's... What Luke writes, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. First piece of advice this morning, don't ridicule the son of God. (laughs) And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame." But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass away from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers." so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Last week in Luke, we talked about being faithful stewards. That was the message we were in. We discovered that we are to be faithful, wise, and generous stewards with all of the resources that God has given us. And by living this way, we learned that money will then no longer have a hold on us. 
enabling us to grow in our relationship with God. And now this week, we come across a passage that deals with our invitation to live for God. We've been invited to be in a close, life-changing relationship with God who created everything. What an amazing opportunity. The God of the universe has invited you into that kind of relationship. It really seems too good to be true, but it's not. You're invited to live for God. Have you accepted that invitation? Are you living for God wholeheartedly, a fully devoted worshiper? If not, our passage th- this morning, it shows us what kind of incredible invitation we've been given. So I think we should just start there. You are invited to live for God. You're invited to live for God. After Jesus talks about the inability to serve both God and money. So this is last week. So last week, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. Which one are you going to serve? After he mentions this, the Pharisees apparently ridicule Jesus. That's what they were ridiculing him about. Jesus says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And the question this morning is, does that encourage you? Or does that cause you concern? If you have devoted your life to God, Scripture says that we all fall short. And so when you fall short, if you're living for God, God says, I know your heart. You're still my child. Keep living for me. I'm there for you. But if you've never devoted your life to God, and Jesus says God knows your heart, you should be concerned this morning. But I want to also tell you, you shouldn't live there. Because as soon as Jesus says to the Pharisees, God knows your heart, then he says, and you've been invited. I urgently insist you to enter into the kingdom of God. Here's what the verse says, the the good news of the kingdom of God. So he says, Pharisees, God knows your heart. But here's what I've got to tell you. The good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now I'll tell you, If you go back to the original Greek on this verse, it's a tough one to translate because of the form that it's in. We know from the first century, everyone was not forcing their way into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you need to join the kingdom of God. Maybe a better way to understand this verse as you really dive into it is Jesus saying, everyone, Pharisees, everyone is urged insistently I I would love to force you to enter into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is saying, God knows the hearts of men. So I encourage you, enter into the kingdom. I'd like to say the same thing this morning. God knows your heart. And so I encourage you, enter into the kingdom today. I can't put a desire in your heart to do that but I can encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you right now and saying, I urge you to enter into the kingdom. Can you hear that voice this morning? And when you enter into the kingdom, so this is the progression Jesus is leading the Pharisees on. Pharisees, God knows your heart, and so I urge you to enter into the kingdom, and once you enter into the kingdom, stay committed to it. Stay committed to it. Don't don't turn back. 
Stay committed to God. Because what Jesus is doing here, there seems to be, you know, even as I read this passage out loud, there seems like there's this random verse in between Jesus talking to the Pharisees, saying, Pharisees, God knows your heart. I urge you to enter into the kingdom. And then Jesus is going to share this story about Lazarus and the rich man. And then there's this verse about divorce and remarriage. Doesn't it kind of seem odd at first? And so the only way that we can understand that verse is if we understand it in the context by which it's written. What are these verses, what's this verse doing here? What is Jesus doing? And to understand it, we've got to back up a little bit. I always encourage people, look, don't just look at one verse and apply it to your life. Make sure you understand the verse in the context that it is given. Otherwise, you misapply scripture. So here's what we need to do. We actually need to go back all the way to Luke chapter 15, to the beginning of this episode. Luke chapter 15, this is where Jesus begins to interact with the Pharisees. And here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, Jesus, he receives sinners and eats with them. So what the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of is they understood the law. So the Pharisees' interpretation of the law was that you do not interact with sinners, people that are, they would consider unclean. So what Jesus then begins to do for the rest of this episode is he's interacting with the Pharisees as he starts to share stories with them to say, you know what, Pharisees, we follow, I follow the law, and part of the law is that we're to be compassionate to others, that we leave the 99 righteous to go after the one who's unrighteous. He starts sharing the stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and then he shares a story about how we handle our God-given resources. And then he comes back to their original issue. This is where we're at today, saying, look, I follow the law of Moses. So he says, Pharisees, God knows your hearts. I urge you to enter into the kingdom. And I urge you with the authority that I still follow the law of God. I'm committed to him and I'm committed to people. The law hasn't gone away. And so then he says, so Pharisees, remember those verses about divorce and remarriage? Yeah, it has to do with people being committed to each other in relationship, love others, love your neighbor. And it has to do with people loving God, loving his commandments, because if you love me, you obey my commandments. So he's using those verses in that context. He's not just doing a teaching on marriage and divorce. And how do we know that? Because you've got to look at the whole of scripture to understand what Jesus has to say about that. So please don't misapply these verses. And I mentioned this this morning because I don't know how many people I've had to counsel who have said, well, I've been divorced and I'm remarried. And almost to make that comment like, so then I'm worthless. And I would say, I have to challenge and push back to say, that is not what God says. And if that's what you've been told, that's a misapplication of God's word. You matter in the kingdom of God. Amen. You matter in the kingdom of God. Does it say that God hates people who are divorced? No, that's nowhere in scripture. Does he say he hates divorce? Yes, but why does he hate it? Because it causes us strife. God wants you to live a life that is flourishing. And so he says, here's how you live that life so you can flourish. And I don't want you to deal with more pain than you're meant to in following after my kingdom. So I'm not going to get off on a teaching on marriage and divorce this morning, but I want you to understand you've got to make sure you look at verses in the right context. God loves you. And he has an important part for you to play in the kingdom of God, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is. So live in it. 
I would urge you, just like Jesus says, enter into the kingdom. I want to urge you this morning that way. And when you enter into the kingdom, stay committed to it. Don't turn back. Don't divorce yourself from God. Don't divorce yourself from God, the relationships, because he knows that's a necessary part of your development in him. Stay committed to God. Are you living for him? And if not, could I encourage you, could I urge you, make a decision to enter into his kingdom today. And then stay committed. Stay committed to that decision. You're invited to live for God. But how do we live for God? Jesus is leading the Pharisees in a discovery that the law instructed people to show compassion to others. So after Jesus says, Pharisees, God knows your heart, and so I urge you to enter the kingdom and stay committed to it. And for you to live for God, what that looks like is you live a life of compassion and contentment. That's not on this line, but I was going over the message notes this morning, and I'd encourage you, if you're taking notes, add that. The example we find in the rich man and Lazarus, and I'll show this here in a minute, is Jesus is saying, live for God by living a life of compassion and contentment. Jesus tells the Pharisees, God knows your hearts. And because of this, I urge you to enter the kingdom. And then Jesus shares a story about Lazarus and a rich man. And through it, Jesus is showing the Pharisees what kind of life it is to live for God. And it's one of compassion and contentment. But before we get into the story this morning, I want to mention here, this is not necessarily a picture of eternity. Nowhere does scripture tell us that people in hell will see people in heaven. When we look at the parables of Jesus, you've got to look through the right lens, that Jesus is making a point in those parables. I want to make sure that, that we are clear on that this morning, that that we don't necessarily draw pictures of eternity, although there's some that we can apply. What we're doing here is Jesus is making a point to say, as you live for God, live a life of compassion, live a life of contentment. And so from our story, a poor man, Lazarus, he's daily laid at the gate of a rich man. And later he dies, along with the rich man. But now Lazarus sits next to Abraham, enjoying a meal with him. And the rich man, he sees Lazarus sitting there, and he asks him to serve him by bringing him a drop of water. A couple of interesting things to note as we look at the interaction between what's happening here. The rich man, he knew Lazarus' name. You ever pay attention to that? He knew Lazarus' name, which means he knew who Lazarus was when he was sitting outside his gate, but he never lifted a finger to help him. He knew him, but did nothing to relieve his condition. Now, something else to note. The rich man, he considered himself of a different class than than Lazarus. Uh, You would think, now that the rich man has been cast into hell and he sees Lazarus honored by Abraham, that he would apologize to the former beggar and ask his forgiveness. But no, that's not what he does. Even while he's sitting in hell, He considers himself higher than Lazarus, which is why he asks Lazarus to serve him by bringing him a drop of water. And then also go serve me and go tell my brothers about hell too. Instead of an apology, this guy, he demands service. And from the very man that he refused to help in spite of his great wealth on earth. I think about it. He wouldn't even give Lazarus his dog food. Could you get any lower than that? That's crazy. The rich man, he might as well have said, okay, now that Lazarus is feeling better and he's on his feet, I'd like a few services. 
Given who I am, <clears throat> and he, being of a servant class, such service is expected. Send him down, Abraham, and hurry up about it. Unlike Lazarus, I'm not accustomed to discomfort. I mean, that's what he might as well have said. This rich man is unbelievable. Now compare that with the life of Lazarus. He's actually a bit of a New Testament Job. Lazarus never says anything about the life he was resigned to live on earth. Doesn't say a thing. He never murmurs against God's distribution of wealth, nor against the rich man's abuse of it in this world. He doesn't say a thing. Even after the rich man asks Lazarus to serve him, he still remains silent. Think about it. Lazarus could have said, neighbor, I see you recognize my face and you can call my name. You saw me outside your gate, but you did nothing to alleviate my pain. Your dogs were kind to me. If you study the saliva of dogs, there's actually like medicinal properties there that helps fight infection. So his dogs were kind to him. They licked my wounds. But you, you no good scum of the earth, where were you when I needed your help? Now you want me to serve you? I can't believe it. What you're suffering is only half of what you deserve. That could have been what Lazarus said. But he doesn't respond this way. Instead, he's quiet. This gentle, long-suffering man has no reservoir of anger ready to explode. No reflections of retaliation in the waking hours of the night. No score to settle. No vengeance to exact. Like Job, he creates meaning by his response to what's happened to him. Lazarus, he's the very model of mercy described by Jesus when Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's the picture of Lazarus. Lazarus is silent in eternity, even as he was silent outside the rich man's gate. Lazarus created meaning by what he chose not to do. He was quiet in his days of powerless suffering and remained silent in his days of power as he listened to his former tormentor demand services from him. The rich man responded to the good things given to him with self-indulgence, indifference to the needs of others, arrogance, and class pride. That was the rich man's response. But Lazarus, he responded to his pain with patience, long-suffering, gentleness, and even implied forgiveness. So where do you find yourself this morning? Are you more like the rich man in need of becoming aware of the needs of others around you and then learning to respond in compassionate ways? Is that your response today? Man, you want an easy way to, to meet the needs in our community? Come be a part of our food pantry team on Tuesdays. They'd love your help. They serve those with needs in our community every week. So if you want to be a part of that, go sign up at the Main Street Theater when you leave here today. If you need to be able to see the needs of others and respond in compassionate ways, that's an easy way to do it. You know, but maybe you're more of a, a Lazarus, that life has not gone your way, and what you need to learn is patience, long-suffering, and gentleness in the way that you interact with others. 
Can you respond like Lazarus? Or are you frustrated with your life circumstances, posting about it on Facebook? Has that been your response? Or have you instead learned peace and contentment no matter your life circumstances? Can I challenge you this morning? If you've got God, you've got everything. We live in a culture that says differently, but you need to hear a different message. You're invited to live for God by living a life of compassion and contentment. You're invited to that space today. And when you accept the invitation to live for God, you are granted eternal life. So Jesus says, Pharisees, God knows your heart. I encourage you, enter into the kingdom. And when you enter into the kingdom, stay committed to it. And as you stay committed to it, as a life, living a life of compassion and contentment, you are granted eternal life. What a promise we have. What a promise. The rich man, he pleads with Abraham that he would send Lazarus to tell his brothers that hell is real. It's an interesting interchange. What does Abraham tell him? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man thinks this is insufficient. Maybe some of you are of the perception that you've read about living for God and God's word. You've shared that with us and you feel like, well, this is insufficient. But Jesus would say it's not. Because Abraham responds, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And some of you here today, you've quietly had the thought, if I could just see an extraordinary miracle right in front of me, then I'd start living for God. If Jesus would just show up in my living room, then I'd start following everything he said. But I want to tell you, that's crazy. Look at what Scripture has to say about people who saw God. John, one of the followers of Jesus, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, he sees Jesus, and what is his response? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Prophet Isaiah, he sees God. I love this. Isaiah sees God, he curses himself. (laughs) And he hopes he doesn't die. I can tell you right now, if Jesus shows up in your living room, you'd better hope you're wearing an adult diaper because it's about to be filled. (laughs) And yes, I just said that. And no, Shelly didn't give me permission. (laughs) And I didn't ask her between services either. (laughs) Sorry. I tell you this morning, even if you've convinced yourself that if God would do just some unbelievable miracle, then you would actually devote yourself to him. Scripture shows us differently. That's not just my experience. That's what scripture says. Look, before Jesus goes to the cross, he raises a man from the dead whose name just happens to be Lazarus. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And the high priest, he had clear evidence. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And guess what? He didn't change his ways. He didn't repent. He didn't change his life. He didn't start following Jesus. He used that miracle to be convinced we need to crucify Jesus. 
the miraculous right in front of you will not change your mind. The Holy Spirit in you is urging you to enter into the kingdom. God's word laid out before you is saying, enter into the kingdom, you've been invited. You've got to respond to this. You think a miracle's enough, but I'm telling you, this is enough. God's word hasn't convinced you. Other things won't either. Whatever has kept you living for God, let it stop you no more. Let today be the day you say, I'm not going to be distracted anymore. I'm not going to allow anything to hold me back. I'm going to live for God. But on the other hand, I want to tell you, does God do miracles? Absolutely. I've got three kids that prove it. Seven years into marriage, we're visiting with doctors. And what doctors thought improbable, God said, possible. He said, possible, because we serve the God of the impossible. Our oldest is a sixth grader. He joined the wrestling team. And, and I'd love to text those doctors and send them a video of Nate pinning a kid to the mat and say, look what my God did. And not just once, not just twice, three times. We serve the God of the impossible. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're not seeing the miraculous around you, it's because you've got blinders on. And God wants to pull off those blinders and say, look at what I'm doing. That's why we celebrate every Sunday, because God is active, and we need to keep our eyes out for it. If you want to see God's activity in your life, devote your life to him. Watch what he begins to do. You want to see the miraculous? Get all in. Quit holding back. It's hard for God to show up if you're not all there. Make a decision to live for God and be granted eternal life. Like, if that's not enough of a reason, you get to live forever. What a promise that we have in him. Have you made that decision? Are you sure what eternity holds for you? That's the question this morning. Are you sure what eternity holds for you? I'm sure. Are you this morning? And if not, choose Jesus today. Go all in. You're invited to live for God and be granted eternal life. You're invited to live for God and be granted eternal life. In the story that Jesus shares, Abraham, he tells Lazarus, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. The point Jesus is making in this part of the passage, Jesus is always making a point. And what he's saying is, is there is no opportunity for repentance after this life. You have to choose Jesus on this side of eternity. You need to choose Jesus today if you've not chosen before. You've got to decide, will you live for God or will you live for yourself? Going back to the pastors from last week, are you going to live for all this world has money or are you going to live for God? What's your priority today? Living for God. It leads to life eternal. Life apart from God, it doesn't end so well. How will things end for you? How will they end for you? I invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. Maybe you're here today and, and you realize you haven't been living for God. And the Holy Spirit is telling you, I urge you, I insistently urge you to enter into the kingdom today. 
that's where you find yourself this morning. Today you'd say, I'm ready. I want to live for God. I want to choose him today. With every head bowed in this room, this is a great time to say, I'm going to choose Jesus today. If you'd say, I haven't been living for God, but I want to live for him. I'm going to devote my life to him. I want to stay committed to him, living a life of compassion and contentment. If that's you today, I invite you just to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you before we leave. Anybody today that would say, that's me. I want to live for God. I want to devote my life to him. I want to know what my end is. That's what you're deciding today. Do you know what your end is today? Over here on the left, anybody else that would say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what my end is today. I want to live for him. God, I just pray that you would lead us all into ever deepening relationship with you. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to live for you for eternity, be committed to you, living lives of compassion and contentment. So God, I pray that we would be content in you, that you are where our satisfaction is found. Lord, I pray that as we see needs, that we'd meet needs, living lives of compassion. Lord, I pray for those that raise their hand. I pray, Jesus, that they would commit themselves to you today and forever. Lord, I pray that you would enter into their life in an extraordinary way today that they might know you. And Lord, I just pray that we'd gather around them, help them to grow in you, for that's what the body's for. And Jesus, I just pray that we would be devoted to it. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm ask Pastor Mark if he'd be willing to come to the front, our youth pastor. He gave our welcome this morning. And if you raised your hand this morning, and I'll tell you with the lights up here, sometimes it's hard for me to see that. But if you raised your hand, we don't want you to, to walk away from that decision. And so one of the best ways for you to, to stay committed to it is to tell somebody else about it, let them pray with you, give you instructions on where you go from here. So if you made that decision that you raise your hand, we would just invite you to come out from where your seat is. We'll have a prayer member pray with you because we want you to be devoted for a lifetime. I wanna give a, a second opportunity this morning. And maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've just never really gone all in. And so today I'd say, let's be fully devoted. One of the ways that you could do that in the song time, just raise your hands and say, God, I surrender. Look, if you're not from a Pentecostal background, it doesn't matter. You know what this means. Cops and robbers. I surrender. Put your hands up and surrender to God to say, God, I, I want to devote everything to you. I surrender everything to you. So as we close in song, you can surrender in your seat. You can step out and surrender up here. But let's live lives of surrender to King Jesus today. So I'm going to invite our song team. They're going to come up and they're going to lead us in song. If you made that decision to follow Jesus, come down and meet with Pastor Mark and a prayer team member. We're going to celebrate you this morning. And if you need to devote your life more fully to him, <clears throat> just raise your hands. I'll tell you, I'm going to raise my hands. God, there's always more I can surrender to you. Always more. So raise your hands and surrender. Come up here and live a life of surrender. Bless surrender our lives to Jesus as we sing.